All right, so just fair warning to everybody. I saw I saw the Jurassic Park Jeep as I was. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you might hear some parade noise. I happen to live um, like actually on the practically on the corner where the uh, the Rose Bowl parade. Uh, traveling down, if, if it's not the Rose Bowl parade, that's in Pasadena. Oh shit! Well, we were just talking about Rose Bowl. So that's, I know sports. Well, okay, way to ruin the illusion. I might have just, people might have actually thought we lived in Pasadena. But our, our show is uh, broadcast from the Hoot and Wall Studios in oh, beautiful if, Uptown Phoenix. That's right. Uh, fair enough. So yeah, Fiesta Bowl parade just happens to run down Central um, and hang a, a right. Uh, or a left, rather, uh, and head uh, north on, uh, I'm sorry, east on Camelback to 7th Street, and then north on 7th Street, which encompasses all of the major crossroads right around my apartment. Yeah, I know everyone's going to start looking for your, all, all your, all your fans are going to start looking for the apartment. Oh, fucking hell. If people want to stalk me, you know, I mean, A, I would, want, I would say I, there's probably somebody better. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm a troubled individual. I've got my things I'm still working out. And uh, <laughs> you, make it, you make it sound like you're Jeffrey Dahmer now. <laughs> like, come on, dude. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just, you know, I'm saying that if you're going to stock a podcast host, that there are probably better podcast hosts to stock. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> More, you know. That may have their shit together more than I do. That goes that goes without saying, but let's you know. Um, anyhow, <laughs> especially yeah, especially if people were concerned after last episode, which they were. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am okay, folks. Anyhow, so uh, because of that, you might hear some parade noise in the background. I do my best to kind of. We're technically we are broadcasting live. We are from the from Fiesta, the Fiesta Bowl Bowl parade. <laughs> look at that! Look at that float, Jared. Isn't that beautiful? Just all the look at all the hard work. Oh, there's the ASU marching band. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's something to behold, folks. Let me tell you. Oh yeah, but this is mental platypus. I'm Jared. I'm the Al Roker to Jared. <laughs> Wait. What does that make me? It makes you the... Um, Am I Katie Couric? Am no. I, no. <laughs> um, I believe you're the Hoda co- copy. Oh, uh, whatever. Or the... Um, I guess I, I guess Katie Couric wouldn't have been involved in a in a parade hosting for some time now. Yeah. I'm really dating myself there, aren't I? Yeah. I'm trying to think who is the, um, who's the co-host, and I can't... I, I honestly don't know. As long, you know, as, to, to date myself even further, as long as I'm not... Uh, you, you'd be the Bryant Gumble to my Al Roker, uh, if we're going to use that. Or the Willard... I'll be Willard the Willard Scott. Scott. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I would be. definitely be the Willard Scott here, <laughs> Bryant Gumble. <laughs> <laughs> can, can we get those advertisements made? Yeah. They're the Willard we're... Scott and Bryant Gumble of podcasting? Because I'm a... I'm a fat man who obsesses about the weather and used to be a clown. <laughs> and, uh, well, and I'm nothing like Brian Gumble, <laughs> except that I'm slightly more reserved. I think probably I'm yeah, the slightly more reserved one of the two of us. And better looking, but uh, well, you know, I wasn't going to say it, but I'll take it's the compliment. It's celebrating a birthday today. It's <laughs> 
is Gerald Hobbingsham. He turned 100 over in Pennsylvania. <laughs> this segment has been sponsored to you by Smuckers. Now, back to you, Bryant. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. Oh. It's okay, because it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be depressing from here on out, man. Is it? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, based on the two movies we're talking about. Let's, yeah. let's, let's get into that again. But again, this is Mental Platypus. I'm Jared. I'm Jason. And uh, you can find us at mental underscore platypus on, on Instagram and Twitter. You can find Jason at Jason E. Kyle on also Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. And you can find me nowhere, unless yeah. you're stalking me. Yeah, there's the like location of the parade. There's literally streets. like yeah, there's literally like a ten minute window where he checks the socials, and and I th- <laughs> did you see that I I changed yeah. the bio of Mental Platypus to say basically retweeting at Jason E. Kyle. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I thought I I thought it was pretty good. I'll have to bring that up now. Let's see. It's it's almost like I should just do it all. Like I'll, I should just handle it all, but I don't want the responsibility. Well, but you're, I'm you're already, kind of doing it. But I'm handling, I'm already handling, I'm handling Instagram. Well, I and mean, that's fine. But, but you just, you just do the same post for both, right? Yeah, but I make small tweaks and adjustments because sometimes I can go longer on the Insta. Yeah, I, I shortened up the bio to say. Uh, Mental Platypus is a podcast, pop culture, art, music, lit, entertainment, etc. Mostly retweeting at Jason E. Kyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is true. I, I mean, I'm already handling two two very popular Twitter accounts, my own, and uh, Paul, uh, it's today Paul Reiser's birthday, which it's not. Right. Yes. So, which I still go back to intermittently. and. Mm-hmm. So remind the people. Remind the people that it is not Paul Reiser's birthday, but when you know, it is. I wonder how. I wonder how his show went uh, up at uh, Desert Ridge. Obviously I did not, not good because we weren't fucking there. I, I did not go, and he did not. He didn't, want, he didn't want to talk with us. He didn't want the mental platypus bump. Uh, he didn't, and which is a shame because um, he would have found um, a very welcome uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Where we would have talked about nothing but Red Oaks. And uh, mad about you. Uh, we would talk nothing about Red Oaks. And mad about my you. My two dads. <laughs> and aliens. The Kaminsky Method. And the Kaminsky Method. I assume. I, I, and, we would talk about all these great things that he's been a part of. And, and his filmic uh, turn uh, uh, with uh, Peter Falk. Uh, with, and then the thing about my folks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I forgot about that. Yeah. So, either way, like, I mean, the man is the star of stage and uh, of screen and and the uh, screens and um, he's a published author. <laughs> anyway. he's, a, he's the king. He, he's the neurotic king of all media. Yeah, th- there we go. Um, anyhow, so today we are talking about power of the dog and pig. Oh my. Uh, and I just, again, fair warning, it's going to be spoiler ass heavy. Um, especially, yeah, we can't, uh, um, there's a lot of secrets and power secrets. of the dog. <laughs> there's a lot of secrets and power of the dog, but both of these are late night with Conan O'Brien secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
You know who I miss? I miss fucking Joel the announcer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. But I also miss La Bamba. In the year 2000. <laughs> In the year 2000. <laughs> Back when that show was funny. You know. Oh, man. A- anyway. I, well, let's let's not let's not get into into quibbling over Conan, who's still funny. Um, and, but yeah, so we're gonna be talking about Power of the Dog and Pig, and in depth. Um, we did warn you on the last episode, and we're throwing another warning up the top. Yep, spoiler heavy. I don't know if you noticed that I've managed to shoehorn the word word platypus into our last several. Yeah, um, I have. I have titles um, quite. Quite cleverly, I might add. I I, I concur. So the power, <laughs> I, and I was thinking this. This, this is the power of the, the platypus. platypus. Yep, it's the obvious choice. <laughs> <laughs> this is our animal um, animal awards bait special. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about stuff that that uh, uh, we expect in a few months around Oscar time. Animal uh, titled movies that will definitely. Um, at least one of them will get a Best Actor nom. Uh, I don't see how it can't. And I'm referring to Bandit Cumberbatch and The Power of the Dog. You know, I would be very happy if Adam Arkin got a Best Supporting Actor nod. I would, too. I, I, I genuinely liked him in that movie uh, and, and Pig. Um but uh, I don't, where do we start with this one? Because I, You know what? I, I propose that because I did take pretty heavy notes for for both films um and i i feel there's no organic way we can just sweat uh segue into this conversation well no it's it's not gonna be organic uh i i i i would like to start with the power of the dog yeah and have that conversation because i want still pretty fresh in my mind too well Uh, and i i think that it's the one we probably agree most on Yes, that that's accurate. So if you're ready for some arguing, like skip ahead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which um, we should mention too that both um, that the power of the dog you can stream on Netflix. Yes, and um, and I think it's in in uh, limited screens. Yeah, right I, at this point. Um, I, yeah, I think it it's, had been at the Shape 14. I don't think it's probably still there since now we're 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 into hot and heavy Christmas movie season. So yeah, we've got, apparently uh, there's another movie that Benedict Cumberbatch is in that's. Spider gonna, something something. Yeah, apparently that one's <laughs> gonna do okay. Um, but um, I didn't. Um, I have because I've been editing the events calendar for Phoenix next month. Phoenix magazine. Humble brag. Issue. No, it's it's not humble brag. But <laughs> um, you know how we've you and I have been talking about like how we, I, well, at least I have been talking about being reclusive. Um, yeah, I, I I have like. Having gone over all the cool things that are coming to Phoenix in the next two months, I'm like, oh, well, well shit, that could be fun to do. Mm-hmm. God, maybe I kind of want to do that. I'm like, oh, oh fuck, I want, I don't want to be reclusive anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I keep going back and forth because I, 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 you know, we'll you know, discuss it more in, towards the end of the podcast and the recommendations. But I, I did venture out to go see Licorice Pizza. Yeah. Um, and, uh, worth it mm-hmm. but um oh i was gonna say is what i was leading to that is is that um there's a scene in power of the dog where they're looking at the mountains yes and he and 
Cody Smith McPhee um, sees the dog. Yes. In the mountains. Yeah. And I'm just looking I at this. Still, I can't see that fucking dog. I, 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 I no, I didn't see the yeah. fucking dog either. Okay. I, I mean, I didn't see the fucking dog. Uh-huh. And God bless him if he did. You know, if he did. You know, mm. that's great. I didn't see a fucking dog. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not gonna. But. Um, but maybe that's its power. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> The power of it the dog is only, fucking invisible. Yeah, <laughs> it, it only shows the dog only shows itself to those that are receptive to the dog. Yeah, so which are apparently Benedict Cumberbatch's character and the other guy you just mm-hmm. mentioned, uh, Cody. Yeah, the, the who plays the kid, uh, Cody Smith McPhee. Um, okay. uh, but I'm looking at this gorgeous um, um, New Zealand mountaintop, uh-huh. which is supposed to be Montana, right? And I'm thinking, God, I should have seen this in a fucking theater. It did look incredible. I, I would have also liked to have seen it in a theater. It, it would have been an impressive thing to see in the theater. But these days, if there's a choice, I'm going to, especially with everything I'm reading about Omicron, uh, I am going to stay home. Yeah. I mean, it, I same here. Like, I'm not, like, as much as I want to see the mysterious all the freaking guest stars that are in that minor but this minor cumberbatch movie right all right the spider something something something, something, something. <laughs> spider man homeward bound or some shit like that uh, i would love nothing the power more. the power I, of the octopus or i, I would love nothing more than to have that film be um, fucking Doctor Strange and Spider-Man lost and trying to find their way home. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man homeward bound. <laughs> are you are you listening, Kevin Foggy? And, we are. Oh, we, we have but, so many ideas for you, sir. <laughs> but uh, the characters uh, it, it, at, at all a homeward bound are voiced by like uh, uh, Michael J. Fox and uh, <laughs> I don't. Rem- I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember the other two. Yeah, it was, um, yeah. But that that would be incredible if it was just. <laughs> Just Doctor Strange and Spider Man <laughs> on screen, uh, the actual actors, but voiced by Michael J. Fox, etc. Yeah, I, I'm for it. <laughs> Are you listening, Kevin Feige? Um, anyway, um, I am. I, I kind of wish I, I had a bigger TV or at least a bigger screen. It sure. was just a beautiful movie to look at. Yeah. Um, well, that's New Zealand for you. Yeah. Apparently, and. Um, and Jane Campion knows how to fucking shoot a film. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, she's been at this a while. Yes, like what three years? Yeah, I, I, I know, but and I know she's from there, so apparently she can see the dog too. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Oh, well, um, so I, I, I kind of because I have so many bullet points, I, I would like to 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 kind of just start with some and and see where where the conversation takes us. Um. One of the first things that I noticed, and this was on my second watch, so I, I've seen it twice. You've seen it once. I saw, yeah, I saw it last night. Uh, the the second time, I definitely saw more than the first. Yeah, uh, and I I think that it's 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 definitely a film that bears repeated viewing. Yeah, I I if I wasn't so tired, I probably would have watched it again, and just tired because it's been a long ass week. Um, 
but I mean, if a movie can sustain me on, you know, on the amount of sleep I've had this week. Um, and and like it's I, not like a it. short film. No, but it's it never over. drags. Yeah, it never drags. Um, it's just, and it's beautiful and stunning to look at. Like I've, I didn't realize people pull over and just have tea, and look at the mountains, <laughs> like Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons do. But I mean, if that's their bag, I mean, go for it. It it seems like that's the happiest they are in the entire film. Yeah. Yep, and it's all downhill from there. Yeah, and boy, is it a sharp downturn. So first thing I wanted to mention, though, uh, because it is, it's so well integrated that you almost don't notice its presence. Uh, I fucking love the score by Johnny Greenwood. Yeah, I. it's funny. It's like, yeah, what's so brilliant about it, I, I was thinking, too, like it's going to be like... Um, um, there will be blood with like all these loud strings. And yeah, everything. and it wasn't. It was just it was some meditative guitar for the yeah. most part. Yeah, that was brilliant. Like, well, and he's got he's got two. Well, I mean, he's always brilliant, but that and the way it's used in the film, mm-hmm. I think is wrong because it's not overpowering. No, like, but you know what it reminds me of a little bit is, um, and it's interesting because I've never seen the film. <laughs> But I own the soundtrack, and it's one of my favorite things to listen to, actually, is the uh, soundtrack, soundtrack to Chelsea Walls, uh, which is Jeff Tweedy's score mm. for that film, um, with some songs in there as well. But Tweedy's score, I, 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 it reminded me very heavily of that, because there are, it's, it's primarily just Tweedy and some meditative guitar, and occasionally Glenn Kochi. Uh, contributing some percussion and it had a similar kind of uh, vibe to me with that but this is so well integrated into the film and you know if uh, he's got Greenwood has such range too because his he, he as this is out there right now Power of the Dog he's also got the score he wrote the score for um, Licorice Pizza mm. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, very, but yeah, abs- very, very different vibe. Is it? Uh, you've seen you've seen licorice pizza. I have I seen licorice yet. pizza. Is it very seventies? Um, in keeping 70s with guitar the film, and classic rock. Yeah, in keeping with the film. I mean, there's there's a lot of this. Uh, licorice pizza is definitely more song heavy. Yeah. I, uh, so the I imagine there's a lot more needle drops. Uh, and that, oh, well, yeah, there is a lot more Neil drops in this yes. compared to Power of the Dog, but. <laughs> be fantastic. Can you imagine? It would be like the Power of the Dog done by Zack Snyder, and suddenly you have. <laughs> Leonard Cohen shows Leonard up. Cohen, Leonard Cohen, uh, Nick Cave. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this Hallelujah applies here, too. It applies to all it applies to movies. everything. <laughs> Even the movie about the zombies. <laughs> God. Yes. Well, <laughs> I'm just gonna say, Zack Snyder's a fucking dick. Fuck Zack Snyder. Yes, that is the that is the stance of mental platypus. Fuck Zack Snyder. <laughs> Watchmen, Watchmen, and Dawn of the Dead Side. Fuck you, Zack yeah. Snyder. <laughs> um. <laughs> I just realized the reason why I like Dawn of the Dead so much is because um, uh, he didn't uh, Snyder didn't write the script. It was um, James Gunn. 
Right. Well, and of course, Watchmen uh, is, is is most notable for for giving us actual blue balls. Yeah. <laughs> Just waving around. <laughs> you know, so. Um, off tangent here that just makes it I've been listening to a lot of Sparks lately um, and (laughs) I watched the documentary again it holds up I I, I need to rewatch it would be my third time watching that uh, that doc and and it will happen now that it's now that it's it's streaming and and I will own a physical copy because I have now become um, a a mild Sparks obsessive but their song Balls (laughs) oh yeah Balls all you need is balls I listened to, I listened to tits the other day. <laughs> which, which that part of, <laughs> that part of the of the doc with Neil Gaiman describing like how never has a song you know so desexualized <laughs> what it's t- discussing. Yeah, it's um, I I, I um I attribute Tony Visconti to that. <laughs> like yeah. he's just a well, brilliant I mean, producer. Yes, but the lyrical content is mm. is Ron Mail. Yeah, I mean, and um, I, I don't know. I don't. I've, I've been listening to it in the movie, trying to look for it in the movie. But there is a part in the digital EP where you hear Neil Gaiman um, narrating the lyrics to Amateur Hour. Oh, um, which is brilliant, and he's like. Oh, I get that what the song's about now. <laughs> and I'm just like, really, dude? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, it, there, this is not a, a, a Sparks episode. We're going to get back to the power of the doubt. But do I just you, want to, however. Do, do you think Jane Campion listens to Sparks? <laughs> I don't think she does. You never know. I mean, I'd be surprised. There's a Sparks song for everyone. It's not tits and balls. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but it could be Sherlock Holmes. That's true. Um, which, you know, I, I taught myself to, to play the other day. Um, and um, I, it's, it's so, I mean, I, I just, <laughs> I love that song so much. I, I, all, they, they've got so many great songs, but I think Sherlock Holmes is a masterpiece. The, the, the idea of, of, you know, essentially, um, you know, giving this literary hero, superhero status, you know, the idea of, um, you know, uh, fog matters to you and me, but it can't touch Sherlock Holmes. Uh, <laughs> dogs bark and he knows their breed, knows where they were last night, knows their masters too. Oh, baby, hold me tight. Just pretend I'm Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> um, Speaking of dogs and and literary heroes, yeah. Well, I mean, but see what I did there. I, I did, but I'm still not going to let you switch back to uh, to to the movie yet because the brilliance it's it it, be, it it starts as this fascination with the literary character and then becomes this sort of romantic figure, but then it's it's this self-effacing thing. Um, which, by the way, another brilliant Sparks song, self-effacing. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking? You know what Sparks song I'm thinking about right now? It's actually not a Sparks song, but uh, uh, it's a FFS song. Collaborations don't work. <laughs> they don't work. 
they don't work. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking of right now as you continue to go on. But continue. No, I, I'm going to continue because I, 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 this has you know an arc to me. Uh, it, it going into that second verse of um, uh, of of uh, stay. Don't give me that same old act. Um, I, I could call in Sherlock Holmes. He'll want your biography uh, and pictures of you in lace and satin looking great. Uh, oh, baby, hold me tight. Spend the night with Sherlock Holmes. Just pretend I'm Sherlock Holmes. Uh, hold me tight like Sherlock Holmes. And that it's just I'm like only. Um, and if you if you go to the the Sparks YouTube channel, um, Ron Mail did a, 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 a lyrically speaking series and where he just did recitations of Sparks lyrics. Uh, I have gone to their YouTube channel to look at videos but and performances. Well, Ron Mail just reading the lyrics to Sherlock Holmes is one of that, you know, and I, I had already heard the song, but, but hearing him read them just, it, it, it opened it to a whole new level for me. I can't, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't adequately explain. It's just, I felt such um, kinship with the the narrator of that song. Yeah. With you know the uh, as he gets toward the end and says, I, "I I can dance like Sherlock Holmes, I can sing like Sherlock Holmes, but I can't be Sherlock Holmes." Um, and it's just like breaks your heart exactly. Like that's and, me. And- <laughs> Well, it's, technically, that's anyone listening to the. That's everyone. Well, they can't be Sherlock Holmes. They, nobody can but, be Sherlock Holmes. But the idea that that there's just, I mean, Robert know. Downey Jr. tried <laughs> twice, but well, at the end of the as day, did Benedict Cumberbatch, who yes. is the star of The Power of the Dog, which we can get back to. Yes. Look at the folk go by, June. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> And here we have the uh, Xavier marching band. Jared, back to you. <laughs> All right. So I wanted to talk about um, how Cumberbatch layers in Phil's sensitivity uh, at the outset. So he he proceeds. Lack of. Well, no, because he 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 masks it with with all the the brutishness. Um, all the brutishness he can muster, basically. Uh, but where he wants that moment with his brother to toast to, uh, you know, t- to the 25 years since since uh, Bronco Henry, mm-hmm. and um, and and Plemons denies him that, and you can actually see the 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 that hurt in his in his eyes as he, you know. It, somebody who obviously is constantly overcompensating for uh you know being a closeted homosexual by uh having an extreme uh uh what i would consider even for that time that this takes place in to be toxic masculinity i mean he's obviously turning that that uh you know, rancher, uh, tough guy, uh, cowboy persona up to 11. Yeah. Well, to your 
okay, so this is this will probably cover a lot of your points because this is a good jumping off point. Like, it's very clear that Jesse Pons' character, his brother, does not has wants doesn't look up to didn't have the same experience growing up with Bronco Henry mm-hmm. as Benedict Cumberbatch has. Right. And, um, and I'm kind of wondering, and it starts to make me wonder as I start thinking more about this movie, how it's like starting to haunt me a little bit more. Like the mysteries are inside. It's like, I'm starting to wonder, like we were talking off mic, um, at our, um, you know, our, 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 now, bi-weekly breakfast. our now bi-weekly breakfast, yes. um, which uh, was delicious, by the way. Um, <laughs> and it's something I look forward to every, every two every weeks. Every couple of weeks, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's nice. A, Friends it's a nice hanging out. Yeah. Um, um, and it's, um, we, and when we were talking about this, we both agreed to a degree that Bronco Henry had an effect on, two different effects on these two on these two kids growing up right i'm i'm wondering and i'm starting to wonder like we both agree that something happened between bandic and billy right you you brought up the idea of of bronco henry having or yeah bronco henry uh having uh groomed phil cumberbatch's character yeah um and I didn't. I hadn't really thought about that. I, I it, to me, it was obvious that the guy was a father figure. I think that there were probably some um, that that there there they might have been maybe too close. Um, there there mm-hmm. is discussion of or, or you know th- theory about whether or not Bronco Henry was also gay, mm-hmm. but um, I for some reason I the way. Phil talks about Bronco Henry. I didn't see that as a grooming situation necessarily so much as, um, you know, this definitely such heavy mythologizing in there, but I didn't, I did not see them as having some sort of, of sexual relationship. Well, my theory is now, like, as I start thinking about more, Mm -hmm. like I still, I still think, Something happened, and when and I'm not sure, I definitely think something happened with Phil, mm-hmm. because as we discussed, like, like they find the stash, mm-hmm. the the secret, uh, the Bronco Peter does the kid. yeah Peter yeah. Peter finds Bronco Henry's stash of muscle magazines. I don't think it was Bronco Henry's. I thought it was Phil's. He had his name on him. Bronco Henry was on. Yeah. Okay, so I missed that then. Yep. And not only has Bronco Henry's. Like name on them, but um, Phil is masturbating to Bronco Henry's with Bronco Henry's handkerchief, mm-hmm. um, and something else that I had missed. Yeah. So there's that. I'm also starting to wonder, to some degree, if he didn't try grooming both brothers, and that the Plemons character was unresponsive to it. Yeah, not only unresponsive, but it's. That's, there we go. Parade noise, folks. And that's the reason why he's so quiet throughout mm. the movie. You think that he might have actually been molested and that's why... I he, think they've both been. Or if mm. not, one of them has. Like, 
I mean, that's the thing about this movie. It's a goddamn onion. Well, yeah, because it's very clear that I wish I'd gotten the Plemons character's name down. I just, you know, remember him being called, uh, you know, Fatso the entire time. Um, we can just call him Fatso. I, um, I mean, it, it offends me, but I mean, George, I think George, George is his yeah. name. Okay, so George, um, he he does not he. he he but, definitely has the attitude the uh the uh he has the what am I trying to say with this he acts like somebody who who was traumatized by Bronco Henry because every time Phil wants to bring up Bronco Henry George doesn't want to talk about it and maybe it's because like i mean their dad doesn't seem like you know a really cool dude well, I mean, both of their parents, you know, again, the yeah. mom played by the the brilliant Frances Conroy, uh, they, uh, they're, they're such cold people. Mm-hmm. And what Bronco Henry, yeah, so Bronco Henry to um, Phil mm-hmm. Cumberbatch is like someone who's taught him to be a man what he what his idea of a man is right and and his brother like i, I i've seen what it takes and, I, and what it's done to me mm-hmm. and i want no part of this right so i'm i'm in this because it's money it makes my mom and dad happy mm-hmm. um i get to wear a nice hat <laughs> um a nice bowler hat right i get to look like odd job uh <laughs> In in Goldfinger, um, I get to look like Sherlock. I get to look like Watson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I mean, they're uh, going back to your bringing it back home. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Two Sparks references. There it? we go. Yeah. Um, How you getting home? Yeah, my baby's taking me home. My baby's taking me. Yeah, home. yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, which by the way, have you listened to the studio version of that? Yes, I've listened to it like a few times this week. It's just brilliant. It it is. I mean, yeah. much more than the I, I, the live version is great. But the live version is great. But the those those couple of albums, uh, little Beethoven, and um, little Beethoven has been creeping up in my uh, in my mixes lately. It's my, it's, it's so, astounding. I mean, it's it's really genius level composition production. All right, we're not going to go off on Sparks again. We got to yeah. get back to the power of the dog. What? Look, look at the marching band, Jared. Back to you, Willard. <laughs> no, wait, I'm Brian. Oh, you're Brian. Okay. Um, all right. So, um, so obviously, like, it's uh, in, my, in the brilliant backstory I have made for these two, mm-hmm. for, like, for everyone in this, yeah. is that they've both been, they were both groomed and possibly molested by Bronco Henry. Mm-hmm. One. One made him a destructive individual. The other one traumatized him, but made him a little more sensitive. Mm-hmm. And well, I, I, th- no, fin- finish your backstory. So Sorry. when, when, um, when his brother Jesse Plumins meets someone, mm-hmm. Kirsten Dunst, who also has had trauma in her life, right? Who's uh, uh, what is referred to as a suicide widow? Yeah. There's a kinship there. There's a connection there. 
There is. Like, but it, it's a it's it's tenuous. Yeah, it's it's not a great one. It's not a great one. I, I wanted to, to to mention that Plemons and Dunst, for uh, for a real life husband and wife, are have fantastic uh, chemistry as a couple that has no chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> well, and but to um, in the movie, like she's just a simple innkeeper who's right. now thrust. And to have, you know, putting together dinners with governors. Right. And because George wants, uh, he, he wants, he wants to be somebody of import. He wants an elevated station. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these things matter. He has these people bring like a baby grand piano, uh, you know, carrying it through the mud. That's an interesting scene. I oh thought. my God. But um, it's and like, just a- like. He won't listen to her. She keeps telling him, you know, I only, I, I, I played piano in movie houses. I'm not, I'm not, I was just an accompanist for, for films. I'm not, uh, uh, you know, I'm not a trained pianist. I'm not, you know, he, she keeps trying to tell him and he's like, oh, no, no, you're great. I've heard you play. It's amazing. You got to play for the governor or whatever, the mayor. Yeah. Um, play, played by a, a, a Keith Carradine. Carradine who I thought was dead. Um, <laughs> His brother cousin is dead because his brother cousin no um david carradine david carradine's dead yeah because he's in this auto auto erotic asphyxiation i believe yes yes yes, because he's into some weird shit yeah he was yeah and uh but yeah i it's it's such a dark dark film and nobody is happy um everybody is broken (laughs) I got before uh, talking about the um the scene yes the the it made me think of um have you ever seen Fitzcarraldo? I have not. So in the movie, uh, there's so there's Fitzcarraldo, which I actually have not seen. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Werner Herzog, right? Um, but I have seen um, the movie about the making of Fitzcarraldo, <laughs> okay. um, which is called The Burn of Dreams, which is about pretty much. The whole movie is about trying to get this steamship over a mountain so Klaus Kinski, Fitzcarraldo, right. can build a fucking opera house in the yes. jungle. Okay. Because that's one thing that people, the Amazonians, have been wanting in the early 1900s was to listen to fu- Why won't anyone build a fucking opera house here? <laughs> I am here! I will build you an opera house! <laughs> <laughs> And obviously Jane Campion being the um being the um student of film that she is, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure I've seen this multiple times and realized I'm not gonna get the steamship over a mountain in real life just like Werner Herzog did. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I'm gonna do my own little version. I'm gonna <laughs> push the grand piano across a muddy prairie. Across must a prairie. Yeah. yeah. And it'll be a little cheaper. <laughs> and no one's gonna make a documentary about this. I, it's. I highly recommend what, that one, by the way. Uh, Burning Dreams. It's really good. The the making of Fitzgerald. Yeah. Well, you get to see um, Werner Herzog as craziest, like just mad with power. It's so. It well, and and this can kind of begin to segue into Pig because it's another film about about broken people, but there's. To, to kind of uh, wrap up some things about Power of the Dog, I, I feel like Phil, Cumberbatch's character, 
is once he once he decides to take a there's just something he sees in Peter that he begins to take a liking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what it is other than he sees him. He obviously sees something of himself in Peter and um, he sets about essentially reenacting the relationship that he had with Bronco Henry, except in this new scenario, he's Bronco Henry. Right. There's a few things that I think one is that, um, uh, he knows a secret, right? When and he can maybe be himself a little bit. Yeah, like I am. Like, like you know that I'm this repressed homosexual. Yeah, and um, well, but at what point do you feel that that turn happens? Because oh, the turn very ha- immediately preceding that is Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, seeing that 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 Peter it has spied him masturbating, and he takes off running after him fully naked, um, and or is it while he's masturbating, or is it when he's in the lake? Either way, he's. I mean, he, he is masturbating the, in the lake. He takes off like, after the kid. You get to see Benedict's Cumberbatch. Well, I mean, it's it's tastefully covered, I think. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I could only imagine a situation in which Benedict enters and says, Behold the Cumberbatch! <laughs> Are you gazing upon it? I call it Doctor Strange. <laughs> you could not take your eyes off of it. <laughs> It's only got one trick, though. (laughs) Rise! Rise! (laughs) Oh, boy. And now we just lost our listenership. (laughs) And there's its two friends, Wanda and Vision. Which is apt because one of them is actually a sentient cyborg. <laughs> um, oh, God. <laughs> Our forces combined. <laughs> we can control the multiverse. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, wow. Usually you're the one who does this. What is wrong with me? I, I, to, I don't know. I, I started it. Must have been the oat milk. the Cumberbatch. It must have been the oat milk. The oat milk in your latte? Yeah, I'm not used to this. Um, I'm filing all cylinders. <laughs> so, the... I, I didn't realize that Cumberbatch is as method as he is. Because um, there were some things, you know, he taught himself to... Uh, to do all the things that 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 uh, Phil does, in, including uh, D- 
teaching. I mean, I, he wasn't actually playing the banjo, but he did teach himself enough to mm-hmm. uh, to appear competent at at miming it. Basically, the rumor is too is that he would not talk to Kirsten Dunst on the set. Mm. That too, because of the way. And I, I we're kind, kind of, of glossy- Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, think. but I, I don't think to the point where it like made anyone like uncomfortable. Right. But I think. I think that's what he's trying to avoid because you hear about, like, if you, and there's been a lot of this talk lately, like between Jeff Garland and trying to be silly on the side of the Goldbergs and right. fire. Like, it's just me. I'm a hugger. What are you I'm doing? a hugger. Yeah. Merman. <laughs> They're going to kill him off. That's what's going to piss me off mm. on that show. The best damn character in that show. Yeah. Um, uh, which bums me out. But um, it's it's unfortunate, but I, I don't know. There the the thing is that you just that you can't and I don't want to get off on a conversation about this. No, we but, let's not. <laughs> you know, it's just you have to be regardless of who you are, you know, if it's with your friends and people who know you well, that's entirely different from being uh mm-hmm. a way on set that makes people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I've heard a lot of stories about how, like, Jerry Leo, like, would send... Oh, like, people boxes of shit. shit. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, um, like, people get really method. Um, yeah. Um, and in the case of Jared Leto, it doesn't seem to improve his performance. No. Uh, no, it doesn't. But... So apparently right. he's good in House of Gucci. I, I haven't seen it. So I'm not I, going I don't to. know. The more the more I think about it, like, nah, I don't need to see a two and a half hour movie of bad so, Italian accents. Wrap, wrapping up, there's um bef- before we start to argue about pig. Um <laughs> You uh, assume we're gonna argue. I do. I do assume we're gonna argue. Uh because you gave it like two and a half stars where it uh I, I think it's a five star film. No, no, no. You you gave me a half star. You gave I gave a ha- you're giving me a half star and more credit. I gave it a you solid it two. Two stars, and I think it's a solid five. Mm. After having watched that one, but we're, three times now, we're also. But the Thrice. thing we're kind of glossing over in uh, oh, about right. Power of the Dog. So, let me just hit some major bullet points. Yeah, one Phyllis Pigpen. <laughs> so yes, uh, he doesn't. Uh, yeah, two uh, Rose's breaking moment, which she falls into alcoholism at the dinner party. Um, shows to me that it's not her first rodeo. I think that she had been purposely abstaining from alcohol at the point that that she mentioned she can't stand booze mm-hmm. uh, or won't drink uh, is because she had a history with it. And that could be why she lost her first husband. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, Peter is a fucking sociopath. Yeah. Um, he's like a Hannibal Lecter in the making. You. Maybe perhaps yeah. minus the cannibalism, but but he you know he's he's killing animals just you know, but he wants to become a surgeon, correct? And I suppose at the time that this takes place, you know that's. Uh, I mean, mind you, I'm not gonna capture rabbits just so you can dissect them in your room. Well, the the one where he breaks the rabbit's neck that is a mercy killing because the rabbit's leg is broken. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get that, but still, just the fact that there's no emotion to him just. Yeah. Which also again spoiler it, it it's 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 crazy to me that you know the kind of 
mindset that you have to have to be able to, um, because it outwardly appears anyway that Phil and Peter are beginning to share a bond and have growth together. And it's very clear that the leather, the hide that, that Peter gives Phil to finish his rope with is what kills him. Yes. No, and that's the thing is like, I think Phil wants to save him. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's seen. Well, he's, that mom- he's approaching it from the standpoint of, you know, this. Well, and I guess that's the turn because he hears people making fun of him as he, as Peter walks through um, in mm-hmm. his, you know, in his jeans and sneakers mm-hmm. um, for, for being a sissy, et cetera. So he, yeah. this is, this is where that, and, and, you know, who knows, maybe that was Phil prior to, Bronco Henry's tutelage. Yeah. Um, and so then Phil sees himself in Peter and is like, look, I can help you make it through this. We just need to toughen you up kind of thing. Mm. Um, I think he sees like a shot redemption, maybe even breaking a cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and he fails at miserably, like miserably. Yeah. Um, let's see. So I feel like after this film, Kirsten Dunst could easily play Blanche Dubois. Oh yeah, Kirsten Dunst can Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst yes can play anything she fucking wants. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. I it's funny is that um, in talking about this movie with Kristen, mm-hmm. my wife, not Kirsten, you know, about <laughs> Kirsten the actress. <laughs> that's not going to get confusing at all. Yeah, um, she's like. She had no idea that she had been that Kirsten has been active mm-hmm. over the last thing, like, or was married to Jesse Plemons. Yeah, and has two kids with him. Uh, I, I haven't seen their season of Fargo at all. I, I haven't seen Fargo at all. No, okay, well, uh, but that period. I guess I haven't seen Fargo either, other than the film. Yeah, um, I, of course. Like, duh, I've seen the film. Like, mm-hmm. I have two eyes and a heart, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or a brain, and taste, yeah, uh, and um. <laughs> well, you would argue I don't have taste, but well, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, I didn't say it was good. I just said uh, you had it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, asshole. <laughs> um. Anyway, um, I um, no, she's been, I she's been like some Showtime shows. She's mm-hmm. been Fargo. She's just been she's been doing the work. Yeah. As as our as our as Papa Marin puts it. Speaking of. Let's kind of end on this. There was a uh, brief argument between Marin and Cumberbatch. God damn, that was intense. <laughs> it was, but it was a good <laughs> film discussion. Oh, yeah. That's the kind of discussion that I, I always love having, like we're having right now. Because they're, they're very passionate about it. It's Cumberbatch with his reading of it as an actor and how he, how, how he has developed the character in his own mind to portray him mm-hmm. and how Marin as a viewer is taking it in. Mm-hmm. Which means, you know, first of all, film, pop culture in general, media is is only as successful as what it does in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you, you put it together, you have all of your intentions, whatever, and then you throw it out there and it's on the audience now. Mm-hmm. Whatever your intent was goes out the window at that point. Yep. And it's clear that you and I... In discussing this movie, when we discussed it at breakfast, when we yes. discuss it now, 
we both have very different ideas of where these characters are coming from. Yes. Uh, maybe I'm thinking too hard about it. I don't think I am, though. But, well, it's because there's, you know, this is that rare movie now where there is so much packed into it that you could see it a dozen times and have, you know, uh, evolving interpretations of characters, motivations, and story. Mm-hmm. Um because it's such a brilliantly executed film from Campion's script and her direction and the the cinematography of the thing mm-hmm. uh to the to the to the actors and their uh their own interpretations of those characters and how they portray them it's there's there's really so much to it that I, I I know that if I watch it again, especially as we've discussed some of the things that I didn't catch in either of my two viewings um that that there would be even more uh, revealed as another layer of the onion is peeled back. Yeah. Uh, but I think we also decided that we both disagreed uh, with Marin's assessment of Phil. Yeah, I I, I think he... I, I lean much more towards Cumberbatch. Yeah, I'm team Cumberbatch on this one. Um, I think that Phil, honestly due to his relationship with Peter had been able to be himself, you know, or at least offer glimpses of himself to himself for the first time in perhaps his life. And like, you can tell like there's a relationship developing. That's why he wants to finish the fucking lasso. Yeah. Yeah. Like, which is why it's so heartbreaking that it is the person that he is becoming more intimate with that kills him. Yep. I agree. Or, Another possibility. I don't think this is the case, though. But the the possibility has included that it was Kirsten Dunst's character that put the anthrax in the damn lasso. Well, uh, or maybe that's why she burned the hides. So I don't think it was necessarily calculated on her part. She didn't burn the hides. She gave the hides away. Or she gave the hides away. It was actually Phil's thing that they don't sell the hides. They don't give the hides away. And there's a ritual burning of them at the end of the season or whatever. Yeah. Um, that was him. It was her who gave them away, which opened the door for Peter's character to... Um, to Because he's yeah, the one, yeah. he found the dead cow... In the mountains, yep. he rode out there and found you know the, the the cow with the anthrax, and took the hide from that. And he's the one who gave with with gloves, <laughs> gave the hide to to Cumberbatch. And yeah. when he's handling that rope at the end with the gloves, you know that there that it was absolutely premeditated yeah. on his part. I don't think you know I, I, I th- so that's where I'm saying that I think that um. Rose, Kirsten Dunst's character, um, she, she opened the window for that possibility for then Peter to come in and, and make this happen. Yeah, that makes sense. But it, it, um, it just happens so suddenly. Do you feel like he, do you feel, I guess, if, and it, do you feel like Phil redeemed himself in a way for all of his shitty behavior? I no, I don't I don't he had a lot of work to do because there was so much bullying. He was a bully philosopher. Mm-hmm. Um he you know, he knew he knew that his effortless effortlessly playing the piece of music that Kirsten Dunst was torturing herself trying to learn. The whistle. God the yeah. whistle. Uh, well the whistle and then playing it on the banjo 
And, you know, just being a total fucking dick about that, he knew that it was essentially the equivalent of the water, like, drop by drop hitting the the bottom of the tin pail. Um, It was, you know, that kind of slow torture. Do you think one of the reasons why she went mad, too, was because he could see what his inten- her intentions were. Well, but what were, were there her, her intentions? intentions? Yeah. That he was after his brother for the money. I, do, I don't think that Rose had that in her head though. I think that she, I honestly don't either. I, I think that from her standpoint, and I could be misreading this, it's the idea of, you know, especially at that time, what are the chances of, a new start for a suicide widow. Yeah. You know, at that point it seemed like she had, had resigned herself to taking care of her son and being the keeper of that inn, all that business. But she also saw the opportunity though. Like you could say, my son, I gave my, take my son to college. Yes. I can get him out. There's that. But I think that at least initially she had some affection for George, perhaps only to the, quote unquote, you know, savior aspect of it, the Mm -hmm. white knight aspect of it, because there is this sudden opportunity for her to get out, um, for her to start again, uh, in a better position because, um, there's that one scene. And I don't think that we really, I, I know we discussed it off mic, but we haven't really talked about it here. There's that one scene where they pull to the side to, you know, have their tea and look out at the at the mountains, and she and, dance, she, and she tries to teach him how to dance. And in that moment, you can see certainly affection for him from her. Yeah. And then George, <laughs> seeming kind of cold, really in the in the just I don't know how to dance. Yeah. Um, it's it's their their love story, which is is kind of secondary in this in the overall arc is also very tragic because like I said, everybody in this film is broken. And as much as these two people seem to have some level of affection for each other, their motivations seem off and also their inability to truly open up uh, to either one is dooms the relationship from the beginning. Yep. Okay. Because nobody good, nobody yeah. listens to the other one. Yeah, and everyone is doomed. Yes, which is why we have pig. <laughs> well, it's time to take a short break for a word of our sponsors. Oh, look at the floats, Jared! Oh, <laughs> so beautiful the floats. <laughs> this is just epic grandeur. Don't you just love the scene out here on Camelback as the as the floats move majestically on past? I mean, look at look at the dedication of those kids in their uniforms. I know they're playing the oboe and shit. It just (laughs) it uh, yeah. Anyway, okay. So pig, back to pig, or to start pig. Uh, What are your problems with pig? First, okay. First of all, let me give you what I think is a is a brief. Concise summary of a very simple story. Pig follows the um, three broken men and their inability to to uh, process grief. 
Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess if, if you want to talk about uh, two movies with a similar theme, mm-hmm. I guess we could say it, there's a lot of grief in the power of the dog. Sure. Uh, yeah. With what they've got, the trauma that they've endured through their childhood mm-hmm. and how they process that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas here's a, here are three men who, um, you know, are trying to process their own grief. One decides to hang out in the woods and, you know, place their love with a, with a swine. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So <laughs> let's, let's get into it. it. It's very clear that, um, and, 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 <laughs> There's so much you want. There's so much you want to say. He's like, what do you say? I don't fuck my pig. (laughs) But (laughs) no, 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 no. It's it's for Cage's character, and again, huge spoilers here. If you haven't seen Pig, the thing is, it's not really possible to spoil Pig because there are no stakes really it's a man who's looking for his pig but we know that that pig is gone he's never going to get that pig back it's a doomed thing he be, has I become, was secretly hoping the pig was still alive dude I knew from the beginning that the, there's no way the pig is even when I saw it the first time I was like there's no way this pig is still around if this pig was still around that those conversations with Adam Arkin would have gone differently yeah um, so it's the thing is that it's, and the thing is he knows it's this is the thing is like he knows it's gone yes like so well i mean not to not to jump all the way to the end but you know why they fucking Ro- go through this shit when when robin has the conversation when he says to to the uh, alex wolf character uh he says I there's part of me that 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 wishes I had never gone looking for her because then I could in my mind she could yeah you know, I could think that she was still alive out there, and then Alex Wolf character says yeah but she isn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and he says no she isn't, and it's it's just because I mean even if he had done that it still would have been the actions of a of a of a broken man he you know we we know that because they make it you know very self-evident at the beginning if not explicit um it's implicit that that uh robin the nicholas cage character that his wife has died mm-hmm. um so he has decided his way of coping that was to leave the uh, culinary world of of Portland behind, and to live in a shack with a pig. Yep, a truffle pig. Uh, that you know, that's how he makes his uh, his his living is um, is finding and then selling truffles. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, he has taken that grief that he has that 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 love that he had for his dead wife uh and funneled it all into this pig because he doesn't feel like he can be a part of the human race anymore essentially he has he's decided life is too painful i'm gonna live on my own with the pig i'm gonna love the pig Mm -hmm. um but not love the pig but yeah not not love the pig but love Um, the pig yeah exactly like um, George Clooney has a pig. <laughs> yeah. 
He'd probably be upset if the pig was stolen and then killed. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a weird conversation. <laughs> uh, so, all right. Before we begin to debate the film, um, I wanted to, like, my first thought is, uh, on uh, my first thought on seeing it the third time is that Pig is a, a food porn film. Okay. Because especially in those in that opening scene where he makes the the truffle tart. I, I suppose you're I suppose you have a point because um but um I suppose you have a point because there are food there's food in there that should never ever happen. What that should mean? never well oh, like well yes so when we get to the well, like to the fusion restaurant yeah or whatever the the Beca- like the like the gastronomy uh chemistry whatever yeah. experiment that is just so obviously far from food that that is meant to be just enjoyed for its taste mm-hmm. um you know rather the it's supposed to be admired for the science of it but there's there is uh it is introduced in there the the difference between you know what what you watch Nicolas Cage making the way he he forms the dough for the for the the tart uh the pastry i guess I, i'm i'm not uh, uh, much of a uh, okay so for, for, i get what for, you're for saying here. myself but but the way that he prepares that and the way it comes out looking it's this beautiful rustic mushroom tart mm-hmm. like you i mean there's it starts off with like this. If we want to use the porn, the porn analogy, mm-hmm. I'll I'll go there. Food porn is a thing. No, yes, I'm aware. But if we're going to use <laughs> the God. fetishism of the of the act of cooking, the fetishizing. Well, of first the act it's of just like you know him making this mushroom tart. Yes, yeah. truffle tart. Yeah, I mean it is like a tender love scene. It's right. like it's well, like I mean, making love. You know, it's well, it's it's also it's also what what tells you that there's more to the character than just this dirty guy living in the woods hunting mm. for truffles. But then you like know for- immediately that this guy that he had, that there's a background to this. But as you go further into the movie, you mm-hmm. know, to, to the, the fusion, you know, the, with the pine cones, with the pine and cones the smoke and shit. And the, yeah. Yeah. Like it's clearly very, we we've entered basic instinct, uh, <laughs> last tank on Paris. Sure. Uh, bizarro, porn stuff the yeah, stuff yeah. that you find on the dark web you, you find yourself basically a snuff film right um but instead of um weird shit it's a pine cone being burnt in a globe yeah um and who goes to these places for fucking lunch <laughs> like uh, you know the people the kind of people that can afford to live in downtown portland oh god <laughs> which is a, a super expensive place to live um now, so there, it it then, as you have seen, kind of uh, then begins to it, it it starts off as a one once the meth heads break into his cabin and bash him over the head and steal his pig. It becomes for a few moments a genre film. It's a revenge film. He is out to find his pig. Um, it's essentially John Wick for a little bit. Um, and, and then we get into the Culinary Underground Fight Club, <laughs> which I would love to know if that's actually a thing or not. But So this is it, it where... It can't possibly be. 
It could be a thing. You never know. To what end? Well, I mean, I mean, if, yes, if I've been a waiter. If you listen to 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 like old, you know, stuff with uh, with Anthony Bourdain and things like that, like there's there's you know, there, it wouldn't surprise me if there was there was some uh, some uh, you know. Uh, brawling going on behind the scenes that where it's just like people unleashing the the uh uh the anger and whatnot that they have pent up throughout the day of being essentially you know i'm sure verbally and uh, emotionally abused by the by the stresses of the culinary world and its patronage i i mean i imagine this like if this were to exist in phoenix i imagine like uh like Sam Fox, just mm-hmm. <laughs> like I mean, he's a nice guy. I talked to him. Like <laughs> he would, he would not be capable of such things. Um, just like putting together this thing at the end of the day for his employees, like over at the yard, and just everybody being the shit out of each other. No, <laughs> we just got to drink. It would have to be underground. Like you know, maybe it takes place in uh, in the Rose Room of Valley Bar. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. It's a small enough room. <laughs> It's very like um, unless you're looking for it, you never know it's there. Yeah, and and there might be a secret panel behind one of those bookcases. Who knows? <laughs> and seriously, there's like and who's just, yeah, I can see it now. Like Sam Fox and Charlie Levy working together to <laughs> <laughs> again. I, I just want to point out to two very nice, fun gentlemen. I, I've met Charlie. Charlie's a cool guy. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I've talked to Sam, and Sam is a very cool guy. If there's anyone, you know, I mean, the guy that we're leaving out here clearly is Tucker Woodbury, who I've never met. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's the guy who's actually secretly pulling the strings of this <laughs> operation. But so I, I, I did read this this brief interview with with uh, Michael Sarnowski, which I think we also have to keep in mind here. And I, I, I only found this out after I'd seen the film in the theater initially, because I was like... I've never heard of this guy. Who the fuck is this Michael Cernoski guy? It's his first film. Yeah. Like you go to his um you go to his Wikipedia page, it just takes you to the pig movie. Yeah. You go to his IMDb, he worked uh, like as a writer and doing some production work on some TV shows that I've never heard of. Um and he but he's got this film Pig out there as his first film and I got to tell you for a first film it's it's pretty fucking incredible the way it's executed I, this does not feel like somebody's first film no you're you're absolutely right it doesn't but this is definitely a movie that could have benefited from some focus I, I argue that it has focus i think well so in in the interview with sarnaski it's talked about how he kind of intentionally used that genre element to pull people in before he pulled the rug out from under them and made this emotional, uh, you know, film about people handling grief. It didn't need it though. Like I didn't need. You had me at. <laughs> you had me at Hello. tweakers kidnapping at. You had me at tweakers kidnapping truffle pig. Uh-huh. Like I. It's the fact that they he goes so long to lead it so far to lead us in to show us a a goddamn fight club. 
I don't know. I enjoyed I, that's that. where I kind of get. I, I thought about because, and then he just willingly got some. It's not only that there's, and it's not that so much the existence of a Fight Club. Like I can, like, given. It's not really much of a fight because he just lets himself get yeah. the shit beaten out of. Yeah, it's like, and that's the other thing. Like, are you like, is it even a Fight Club if the one person doesn't fight? Well, I, I think that, that just, also, I think that that is also an important piece of Robin's character because it shows somebody who just is, he's a non-person at this point almost because he just is like, I'm, I don't see, I don't feel like I am somebody uh, who is even worth defending himself. I'm just going to take a beating mm-hmm. and ask where the fuck my pig is. Yeah, it's... And it's not that he, like, I can understand, I, I guess I should start out to emphasize, like, I think I agree with you that the performances are great. I actually really enjoy Arkin's performance. Adam Arkin deserves a fucking Oscar for yeah. Best Sporting Actor mm-hmm. right now. But what everyone finds so great about this movie, I do not know. Like, I just, the performances are fine, but there is something about this script that is just... It wants to be a lot of things at once. I, I I feel like I get your point, but in the execution, there's the, it's it, as much as it it as to your point seems like it wants to be multiple things. It also just wants to be a place where the film itself can breathe. There's a lot of space in it. There's a lot of um, you know just letting the emotive. Uh, you know, skills as actors of these three men, Nicolas Cage, Adam Arkin, and Alex Wolff, just have a showcase. Right, but he... I, like, I... Getting the shit be out of himself just to get, like, a phone number. Mm-hmm. Like, is that, like... Like, is... I, I just... Don't get. I, I I don't understand that. I guess I do, but I, I mean I don't. But I get like it. he's um I, the like he's trying to be this Buddha, mm-hmm. like this you know shaman, like this everything. Like like we get it, you're great, and then he ends up like if he's so Zen, how is he able to humiliate like this guy who used to work for him? Like he went there with the intention. You know, I, I when we were talking earlier. I, I I mentioned you know I likened Robin to a Buddha, but I don't think he. I, I the more I think about it, as we're talking about, it, I don't think of him as a Buddha type. I think of him as somebody who just likes to call bullshit on things, mm-hmm. because he's calling he. This is a preamble for calling bullshit on Adam Arkin when he makes him that dinner. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. It's. I get like he's like he's. Obviously, he's outgrown, like like. It's comments on the food industry mm-hmm. are brilliant. Like you want, you wanted to open a pub mm-hmm. like, to the, to the, to the, to the fusion chef. Well, what is the, uh, the line that everybody's hooked on to the, the whole, you know, it's rare that we have the opportunity to do something we care about. Yeah. And he gets it like, and I think that's like no one, Everyone apparently, in, apparently everyone in the Portland restaurant scene mm-hmm. is not doing anything that they care about. He was the except only, for the baker, except for the baker, yeah, the, with the salted baguettes. Yes, 
Um, Man, that scene made me cry. That was beautiful. I, I again, like it's. Um, I, I'm just. I don't. Not like this movie. I just don't see why everybody is hung up on it because I found it at the same. Uh, while I found there are parts of it I like and admire, mm-hmm. there are these tone like it's got such an uneven tone to me. I like, think it's got a very even tone. Well, I'm, uh, I guess sad. Yes, the tone would be sad. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when it's it's. It's also like to me the purpose of the of the Fight Club scene has the same purpose as as Robin Feld talking about um, like standing in front of the wave that's going to destroy Portland, <laughs> and then having them talk about like moving to Seattle, and he says "fuck Seattle." <laughs> yeah. Like, Alex like says, I get yeah, it. Fuck Seattle. Like we get it, dude. <laughs> like you hate, you hate fusion cooking. Okay, <laughs> you hate. Uh, no, I don't think he hates the fusion cooking. He hates he the, hates the, 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 um, the thing that is style over substance. Yeah, the um, there's a name for it, like gastronomical. Yeah, yeah. Um, Richard Blaze, like science of cooking. Business. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've never watched Top Chef, but there's this no. chef, like in the second, the third or fourth season, named Richard Blaze. He's a very big deal now, but he would like do shit with liquid nitrogen and smoke yeah. and shit, like which seems like very cool and very everything. But yeah, like, but what's the point of it? Looking at it when you're going to get more flavor and enjoyment out of mm-hmm. that rustic mushroom tart? Yeah, like. There's a line there too, like a, I like to deconstruct things so it can like yeah like really dude like yeah. that's like that's what you're trying to do. Why don't you just make the fucking tart? Yeah, but um, and like I like, but I it's like I, he's trying to be like this is. It's these little side trips, like along the way. Mm-hmm. Like I get what you're trying to say that um, that this is a very simple story about three people dealing with grief. Two people can't because they're not they, they don't. because the the Adam Arkin character won't let his wife die, mm-hmm. and the other one puts all his affection towards a pig. But it's these little side journeys, like these, what, like the these, Fight Club, like the, the fight hand club. pan scene, like the like the Fight Club, like the like the yeah, like the Fight Club, like the. Um, but the, the the scene with the kid on the porch is padding. so beautiful, though. Oh no, that I liked. I liked that, like with the persimmon tree. Yeah. Yes. Where he, where he talks about like you know initially whatever he's saying it's like inedible, but yeah, you know after a while it loses these things called tannins and it's one of the best flavors. Mm-hmm. In whatever he says. The no. way he talks about that though, and then the way the kid is talking to him, mm-hmm. which. I, I'm not a kid person. I've never been. I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, kids are cute, whatever. I'm like, fuck kids, whatever. I mean, not to offend anybody and their kids, but. You like my kids. Sure, yes. My kid wants to see the uh, the Mark Maron cartoon movie with you. Yeah. No, you're. 
you know, it's kids in, in very individual cases, I, I can get on board with. But kids as a concept, not so much. But this kid is the cutest fucking kid with his, does that hurt? <laughs> or like, whatever, does, does it hurt? He's got like the, well, just sitting out there with the, the hand pan and, 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 you know, and he's talking and the, just the exchange with the, with Nicolas Cage and that kid and, you know, talking about how he used to live there and what happened to the persimmon tree, what ha- you know. See, that um, to me is on point. Yeah. That to me is like on this journey of, of processing the grief. Right. So. But there's these other things that have nothing to do with processing okay, but, grief. Okay, but let's, 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 let's excise the Fight Club thing. No, what other than that there's, you feel like? There's, the, there's the, the, the lunch scene. I think the lunch scene is perfect. No, I, I, it's just this filler. Like, it's just this comment. Like, it's just this comment on the not incorrect comment, but mm-hmm. it's this comment about it's a way to humiliate this guy who he like once cooked with. Like, mm-hmm. you work with me for two months. Well, you but- somehow and somehow you've risen. You, you've risen above me. Guess what? You, your food is shit. Your food shit. Yeah. Um, and you would be happier if you opened your pub. Yeah. But, but he's calling that it's, it's obviously it's designed, but it just happens to be able to occur because that's the name of the chef that he's given as who would know how to find his pig. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it could have just as easily have been a chef. He had no, you know, who didn't know him. But the fact that the fact that everybody in the culinary world in Portland knows who Robin Feld is. Yeah. yeah, and the fact that like M. Arkin is like this kingpin of the underworld God, he's so that good. that like um, steals pigs for his he's, own. He's, he's the he's the godfather of yeah. of like the of the of locally grown like, uh, why, ingredients. Like seriously, like other than to like undermine his son, mm-hmm. um, why the fuck was this pig stolen? Well, it's very clear that uh, when it's clear. The the pig never found the fucking truffles to begin with. That it was all Robin. Yeah, yeah. I, the because the perception was because the way that the kid, the Alex Wolf character, was talking about it was that it was this man in the woods with this special pig that was finding the truffles, mm-hmm. and so everybody put it on the pig, and you know, it's it's a it's again it's like, it, it's also this undercurrent of how. Uh, you know these people aren't you know communicating they they just are horrible to each other mm-hmm. it's a, it's another situation like the power of the dog where these people are just constantly horrible to each other you know what another thing about the about this thing in the movie these two movies have in common how i just want the fucking main characters to fucking take a shower <laughs> <laughs> i just want one fucking scene where he feel like where Nicolas Cage feels hot wire and soap <laughs> and, and has a shave. Um, he he could have just the man has a fucking head wound and he <laughs> refuses to clean it. Um, you know, Cumberbatch has the scene in the in the uh, in the creek or whatever where he's uh you know. Or he's taking he, care of the he Cumberbatch himself, and he takes yeah he's he he cleans the Cumberbatch. <laughs> And Wanda and Vision. <laughs> I I don't know. I, I I it's odd that we're arguing about this because your point is 
from what I can tell, that you overall liked the film, that you thought the performances were excellent. You just don't think it's the, quite the perfect film that I think it is. I don't the think filler, it's perfect. The filler overpowers the story to me. It doesn't to me. See, and that's all it is. And I, 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 and I, it's like we don't have to like, you know, break up the band on account of this. But and uh, maybe one day on cable or something, I'll watch it again and I'll, and I'll see your point. But as of not, uh, as of watching it, and maybe it's because I'm just drenched in hype over this movie. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks it's like this That's perfect true. little indie film. That's true. I, I I feel partially responsible for that because this you know leading up to you watching it, I was like, this film is so good. You got to see this film. It's so good. It's it's one of the best films of the year. Like, you did yourself no favors by hyping it up in my brain. Like I I was I I, I wanted to see it, but mm-hmm. uh, and you're not the only one who's like. Like I, I read reviews, man. Mm-hmm. I read, you know, um, but I don't see why other critics love it mm-hmm. when I find all these other things about it so distracting from what I feel is a beautiful story about processing grief. Yeah, it, it just it it's overpowering. It's like someone to use a food metaphor. Mm-hmm. And it's like someone put too much fucking salt, <laughs> a little too much paprika, a little too much little, paprika, uh, and the truffle and the truffle pie, sure. And it, it's just overpowering, uh, or t- you know, using too much garlic in the pesto. I mean, it, I mean, there's a yeah, okay. There's okay. a there's a gazillion meth, you know, food related metaphors I could use here, but the thing is, like, at the end of the day, I just find it, I find the. They're getting too fan. They got too fancy with the spices. I guess. Yeah. I just i I loved all the little things in it. I the mm. the the fact that that Alex Wolf and Nicolas Cage, as they're preparing the the meal mm-hmm. to serve Adam Arkin, have a more intimate bonding moment than it seems like the father son, the actual father son mm. of the film, have possibly ever had i like that like that's the thing is like it's a it's it's almost a cheesy scene like it is almost a cheesy scene it's also but i i feel in ways like it's earned because if you watch mm-hmm. the progression of it after after nicholas cage has his blow up and essentially he um because not at all throughout the film do at least I don't think so. Maybe Alex Wolf mentions it at some point, but I don't think that Nicolas Cage is aware that the that the uh, wife mother is is still alive. Right, that's the other support. thing. Oh, yeah, he's under the impression because the Alex Wolf character speaks of her as though she is dead. Because mm-hmm. um, she essentially is. She's brain dead. Yeah, she is just kept on life support indefinitely at this point, um, and. Because Adam Arkin can't let her go, right? Because he feels too much guilt. Mm-hmm. You know, he was—he's obviously this career guy that, you know, he feels like his uh, attention to becoming successful in that way, um, this sort of food mogul, this ingredient mogul, um, has a supply mogul, whatever. Um, it feels like it's his fault, and now he can't—he can't let her go. Yeah. And it's obviously made him a shitty dad. Yes. Made him a shitty husband. Right. And it's made him a shitty person. Yes. To but, all those things. But you know what? 
all Nicolas Cage had to do was make him make him make him well, a meal. I mean, and then they went. Well, so what? I was, and then they what went. I was, what I was saying though, what I was saying though, is the progression. Once Nicolas Cage has his freakout moment, essentially, mm-hmm. where he kicks the Camaro. Yeah. From that point on, he you know knowing what kind of um, what kind of father this kid has had. Mm-hmm. He he then becomes not unlike Phil in The Power of the Dog, his tone shifts, his interaction with him shifts, and he becomes more of this sort of taking him under his wing, nurturing kind of thing. And when he, his way of, of showing this sort of a form of affection, sending him out to get the wine, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, then having him um, uh, cook with him, and then even to the ride back after he finds out that the pig is dead, riding back, you know, and stopping at that diner. Yeah. Um, and asking for, I love the moment of asking for pie and, oh, we don't have pie. Well, what <laughs> kind getting, of place is this then? Getting the two brownies. <laughs> I just thought that was, yeah. I thought that was perfect. Like, what do you mean you have for pie? I just, <laughs> I love that. And then, and, and then to the point at which, you know, after they have this conversation, and and Nicholas Cage says, "I'm going to walk the rest of the way," you know, yeah. and and they have this moment. He's like, "No, I'm okay. I'll see you. I'll see you Thursday or whatever it is." He's like, "Because he's going to find the truffles again." Yeah, because he's like, "I never needed the pig. I knew where they were. I knew how to find yeah. the truffles." <laughs> oh, um, and but then also there's that scene where Arkin and Cage first meet, and Cage is leaving. And he says he says something about you know did you ever get over you know you never got over the loss or whatever and and Arkin is like did you yeah <laughs> no and you know this he's still in that moment has not allowed himself to feel anything and it's like I, and I think that that's the moment at which Cage is like I know how to make this fucker feel <laughs> yeah and it's by cooking him this dish mm-hmm. it's funny it's like it's sort of like this revenge movie. But really, the revenge I mean, is, is but not. The revenge ends up being making Adam Arkin break down and feel. Yeah, uh, feel that grief. That like, loss. I'm going to make. Like, I'm going to make this guy who used to, who worked for me for two months feel like shit. For see, I still don't think he's. I, doing it's it's that. clearly. I think he's clearly trying to humiliate him. I don't think so. I I that point I will vehemently disagree about. I think that he is like. I think it's a moment of dude. What the fuck happened to you? Yeah. Why are you not doing what you clearly know would make you happy? Why are you doing this bullshit? Well, it's because he's calling him on his bullshit, which is humiliating. Like you see right through you see right through me that I am not this. Yes, I am a like I am a trend. I am I am following a, a trend. I do not care about this. I don't think that it is done with malicious intent, though. I, I I think it is, and the same thing with this. Like I made this meal because a I want you to feel, and a and b uh, I, I want you to tell me where my fucking pig is. Well, but I think that these things are done because he feels like he needs these people to understand why it is imperative that he finds this pig that he feels such love for. Yeah, and it's 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 very zen way. It's a very zen revenge movie. Sure. Like it's very Buddha. It's very whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I, 
but I'm honest. And I, I like how people like the way Nicolas Cage is in this movie, but to give him an award for not being batshit insane. I think it's I think it's one of Cage's best performances. Yeah. But notice that I've been harping on Arkin deserving an award, not Cage. Yeah. Arkin Arkin's the one who deserves the award. Yes. And actually Alex Wolf deserves something too, because I had not known it well, was him for the longest the, time. Oh yeah. No, it's it's a way far cry from hereditary. Yeah. Like I'm like a, is the whole time like is that the fucking kid from hereditary? Yeah, that was like, my- that's the fucking kid. Uh, and then like at the end of the I gotta look up. It's the fucking kid from Hereditary. Well, so, well, yeah, his performance is fantastic as well. And I love the way that the self help audio is layered in as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's wrap on this with but a couple of. I guess, I guess to end the point is like, there are two been, I, I guess there have been like in the last, Three years, there have been probably two or three Nicolas Cage movies, new Nicolas Cage movies I've watched. Mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't like National Treasure? Who doesn't like... You? I haven't seen him. I, I, okay. I'll tell you, I have only seen this one Nicolas Cage okay. film in a really long time. So I'm going to show you, like, there's Mandy. Mm-hmm. I've, well, I've heard Mandy is one that I need to see. Mandy is just batshit insane. Also, what was the H.P. Lovecraft one I heard that was... That color was supposed out, to be this time, space out, color, color, space. Yeah, something I haven't like seen that. that one. I, I could... But it's like, let's give him an award. It's like people are like, oh, let's give him an award for not being batshit crazy, for not giving into his darkest impulses. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I liked him much more in Mandy where he's sitting there in his tidy whities downing a bottle of vodka because... because Cultus took his wife. Mm-hmm. Then thanks he, for spoiling that for me, which I still haven't seen, by the way. Dude, <laughs> I haven't spoiled shit for you. Okay. Let me just <laughs> let me just tell you right now, you have not spoiled shit for you. Okay. Um, whereas, like, he's given this, uh, like, like, he's not giving to these impulses. Well, like, he's restraining himself. Like, let's give him a word. He's he's not being a goofball today. It's he, it's it's because you know I I, I actually really like Nicolas Cage as an actor. He's he's some you know. I, I, Raising Arizona is one of my favorite films of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is that he he does have, I think, a significant amount of range. And he just, I think he phones it in a lot. I think he finds the easiest thing to do is just act crazy. So he does those roles a lot. Um, but, you know, when he can be dialed in and engaged, like in Raising Arizona, like in, you know, they gave... But the thing is that somebody like Cage, who so frequently does these batshit roles is only going to get recognized when he does a leaving Las Vegas, when he does a pig, you know, it's where people can be like, wow, I didn't know that he could be quiet. You know, so that's the kind of thing that he's going to get awarded for, but he shouldn't get awarded for that. Like, that's just knowing the role. I just, right. It's good acting. Yeah. It's, it's being able to read the part and give the performance that the part needs. It's like, I, I, I just, is, you know, which, you know, now that we're talking about it, that's why people should get awards because they give the performance, they give the best performance that is demanded of that character and the film. Well, yeah, I, I just, I, I know how to put it. It's like, we're, we're, we're giving him an award for doing his job instead of taking a risk. Well, I don't think he took a risk with us. No, this is not a risk taking film. I don't think. 
but it's a wonderful, quiet performance. He does a little with a lot. I mean, strike that, reverse it. He does a lot with a little. Um, whereas, you know, to go back to the power of the dog, Cumberbatch is doing a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's that Day-Lewis kind of, of, of mm-hmm. you know, transformative sort of performance. It's incredible. It's it, in its own right. It is very good, and he will probably get something for it. Oh, I think he's. I think he's got that shit on lock. Mm. Yeah, I think Cumberbatch. Like, if uh, let's just assume it's Cumberbatch, Cage, um, uh, and Cumberbatch getting nominated for Doctor Strange uh, and Spider Man. And- I, I, I seriously doubt that he's getting yeah. nominated for that. Although, I mean, he could get a nomination for the the um, Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. Yeah, I know. I was just assuming he gets it like it's Cage and four times Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> like the only way Cage is gonna win is because everyone voted for the for the wrong role. I don't know, but I, I think he's got Power of the Dog on lock. I'm gonna tell you, I could see the kid from you know the the Hoffman kid from Licorice Pizza walking away yeah. with it. So I gotta see that. God. So um that's I seriously I think it's gonna be from what I hear, I think it's gonna well Leo will get supporting. You think for the Gucci film? If I think so. I think he's gonna get and I think Driver is gonna get something for either Gucci or Last Duel. Or the Duel. Last Duel. Maybe in that you know, here's the thing: is that I, I I didn't see either of the two Ridley Scott films that came out this year, and from what I hear, you know, despite what Ridley Scott would have you think, they're not his best. Oh, I I actually really want to see Last Duel. I kind of want to see Gucci because I would be interested in seeing Gucci to see what kind of performance Pacino hands over. You know, I I I don't know. I think I feel like Lito is so gimmicky. Yeah, I mean, you know, he needs it seems like he needs prosthetics to perform. It's it's funny he's like he's been secretly like a good actor and then after Dallas Buyers Club, mm-hmm. which he is brilliant in. It's like now I'm going to just be a gimmick guy and mm-hmm. like fuck 30 seconds to Mars in this band I do. Yeah. Well, he's he's kind of doing a a dep after a fashion, yeah. you know, where it's it's more about the costume or the affectations than it is about the character itself. Yeah, I just I I think he's going to get something. I think he's going to get nominated for it. I don't know who else got nominated for but I know the Golden Globes came out. I don't care. I haven't seen any of the nominations for that. Yeah, but I just I I think if we're doing this like a sports thing like Cumberbatch has got the best actor on lock. Well, let's, let's, okay. I want to make a couple of points about pig real quick, and then we should do quick recommendations. So we skate out just under the two hour mark. Um, the, so, uh, as I was looking up what Alex, what else Alex Wolf had done, I, I wrote down this note. The fuck is the naked brothers band? <laughs> oh, I know that. I know that. that is. <laughs> it's a Nickelodeon show. Okay, so apparently, like Alex Wolf and his brother, uh, the other Wolf, uh, <laughs> are the Naked Brothers band. Oh shit! Really? Yeah. Fuck, dude. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> it, 
they're like, um, God, you're not going to even know. Like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to have any idea. Yeah, just like I'm going to, like I could throw a bunch of Disney shit at you and you're not. You're and I, like I didn't I realize that his mom is, and I'm going to forget her name, but his mom is one of the, was one of the principal, was one of the main characters, um, or main actors on the, on 30 something. No shit. Polly something. Uh, not Patricia Wedding. No, no, no. No, or. No. Uh-uh. Wow. Yeah, I'll 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 find it. But uh, you know they're gonna, you know they're bringing that show back. What? Oh, thirty something. Yes. Yeah. What? Sixty something. Yes, I think that's what they're gonna do. No shit. <laughs> yes, I, mean, I think I guess they're re- might as well. I think they're either rebooting it or they're doing like something. Um. But uh, it's been. Uh, yeah, it's been. Uh, they're bringing it back while while you're doing Holly Draper. That's okay. the, that's his mom. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh God. Did that just blow your mind? And seriously, dude. Like, I just. You're welcome. Uh, very yeah. rarely do you blow my mind. So, uh, and and you've accomplished that, sir. The the other the other little just quick note that I jotted down was idea pig origins. <laughs> It's it follows Robin Feld, a a broken man who's just lost his wife. Uh, he's gotten out of the culinary world, and um, it's 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 the meat cute between him and the pig. <laughs> and you can have um, you can have Ryan Reynolds play the younger version <laughs> of the fusion chef. <laughs> but his mouth has to be like glued yeah, shut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, um, which I'm perfectly okay with because I am getting. Because <laughs> you're done with Reynolds? I'm not done with them. It's just this. Sh- Would I, you I'm, say that's a Reynolds rap? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm. I like him. Like, I still like. Surely nobody else has ever said that. No, 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 no. I just, this shit is getting. <laughs> after seeing Free Guy, the shit is getting a little tired. Which, by the way, comes to Disney Plus in February if you're. Uh, oh, sweet. So I can see it then because I will not have. I will still not have seen it. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, all right. Let's do recommendations. I want to go first because of what I told you earlier, uh, which is that this this had been Pig and The Power of the Dog, respectively, had been my number one and number two films for the year until I went and saw Licorice Pizza. Mm-hmm. And I love that movie so very, very much. Okay. <laughs> now it, it is my number one film uh, of the year. I, I highly recommend trying to find some art house theater that's showing it. I think it's opening wide on Christmas, which by the time this drops is only a few days away. Um, and yeah, go out there, find it, see it. If you have I, ever enjoyed a Paul Thomas Anderson film, I think that this is easily one of his best. It's also one of his most straightforward. It's one of the lightest films he'd ever, he's ever done. I would say, um, and it's just it's just such a beautiful fucking film. I would like to point out, and we don't need to get into the details of it, but I Let's did not no, <laughs> that I did want to go uh-huh. to see that with you, uh-huh. and you told me, and, and you, you, you had other plans. I did have other plans. So yes, I had I had yeah. a date. I'm sorry. I'm no, 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 no. To, you I'm don't even have to, to mention it's a date. We don't even have to mention you anything. Know, I was trying not to get into the details. But I just want you to know that I I was gonna I would have been your plus one. To be fair. 
you, to be even fairer, let's say, mm-hmm. um, you didn't contact me until like the day before, <laughs> probably assuming that I didn't have any plans. <laughs> You cut deep, and yeah, you said, you're, "Hey, that you're you're right. You're absolutely right." And I'm I am sorry. Like this if is, you'd if you'd gotten to me, you know the the week before or whatever. Like even when you first mentioned that, hey, that's showing at at uh, at Camel View, I I would have been like. Well, I told you it was at Camel View. You did? Yeah. And I and said, I think I might venture out to see that. And you didn't say anything afterwards. Well, I'm sorry, but like you expect in the me way. to ask? I, I kind of hoping you would. Well, you know what? That's just not always the way And it goes. that's why I kind of was like, you know, if you need someone else to go. And you're like, and oh. Like, yeah, I happen to have some. I, I don't with. know. Like, I don't know your life. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, you know, I just, I just want to again point out that you assumed that I would be alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to say, point out that I don't know your life. <laughs> but and I was very happy for you. I just, you got you to gotta ask sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll do that next time. Okay. <laughs> So I feel like this is the end of um, License to Kill when he goes, well, why don't you ask? <laughs> why don't you wait till you're asked? Why don't you ask me? Cue <laughs> 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 Pay- Paola Bell song. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I, I do highly recommend. I think it's, like I said, by the time this, this comes out, it will it will be in a wider range of theaters. I, th- I think, honestly, you know, when I went, it's, it's, the very, it's the first time in a long time that I've been to a film where it was sold out. Yeah, um, I, there's so it, much. There's, like, like I said. But I, I think it was the only showing. I didn't see it anywhere it, yeah, else in the week. I didn't realize there was, like, Saturday a sneak preview. Seven. Um, you went to a sneak preview. I didn't realize it was. I thought it was already out in Phoenix. Like, period. No, I think it released over Thanksgiving weekend in like New York and L.A. Because they're doing it like um, seventy millimeter, yeah, thirty-five millimeter screenings. Apparently, they might have a thirty-five millimeter in January. Mm-hmm. The rumor is is that they'll have a, a, a print mm-hmm. um, to play at a local theater here. Um, with my, I guess, inside sources, as it were. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but. I mean, I don't care anymore. I just want to see. I, I honestly just want to see um, a Heim sister and uh, Bradley Cooper doing his best John Pierce. <laughs> it's, it's such a good movie. I, I mean, I can't. I, I don't even want to get into why I think it's a great movie. I'm not going to describe the film. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give anything away about it. All I'm gonna say is this is a movie that needs to be seen and it should be seen on a big screen. Okay. No, yeah, I was willing to put the mask on and just do it, um, but you know, I, Anyhow, I so that's I, my recommendation. But that's what I get for just assuming you'd ask me, and yeah, yeah. But and I, I, I was going to ask you, and you asked me, and then it was too late, <laughs> and I learned a very valuable lesson <laughs> about assuming that every once in a while, even the losers get lucky sometimes. <laughs> And that is you, sir. Congratulations. No, and, and it's fine. I, I'll go. R.I.P. Tom Petty. Okay. All right. Okay, go. Um, so I, um, you know, as this drops, uh, Christmas will be here. And I know everybody wants to watch Christmas movies. 
Um, I assume that everyone know, Die Hard is in everyone's queue. As the, <laughs> that's the best Christmas movie there is. Um, I would like to point out another uh, Christmas movie um, that uh, should be on everyone's... Hard uh, Eight? No. Uh, I'm not doing Hard Eight. Um, which I still have yet to see. I've never seen as the as the um, it's still my blind spot on my PT. It's it's still high up there in my PTA rankings. Um, but um, I would like to recommend for uh, your Christmas viewing on Her Majesty's Secret Service, because <laughs> um, um, nothing says Merry Christmas like running from uh, a bunch of bad guys in the Swiss Alps, <laughs> uh, trying to um, uncover the. Um, uh, a, a you know a, a plot uh, a secret uh, germ warfare plot. <laughs> I know seriously, it's a Christmas. It's it's the only. It legitimately is the only Bond Christmas movie. Is is Savalas the best Blofeld? Yes, um, I know everyone's going to say go with the original, go with the best, with the Donald Pleasance. Pleasance. Yeah, but no, it's Savalas. Um, the other thing I'm going to recommend, um, and I had up here. Um, uh, so again, like, uh, um, journeys to glory, um, uh, what's that one journeys to glory is the debut album by this hot band called Spandu ballet. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Are you shitting me? I shit you not, sir. <laughs> I have this like, again, pow, I shit you not <laughs> pow. I shit you. No, seriously. Like, um, it's the debut album of Spandu Ballet. Okay. You know, the Kemp brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it is like this fusion of disco and new wave. Um, okay. That sounds absolutely fucking nothing like what they would eventually be known for, which is mm. true. Um, the song True, which no one really knows is a song about listening to Marvin Gaye. I know this much uh, is true. Well, did you know that it's really a song about taking drugs while listening to Marvin Gaye? I had no idea. Yeah. I uh, have to admit, I have not spent a lot of time listening yeah. to Spando Ballet. Not in the same way that I've spent dissecting, you know, Sparks and Sherlock yeah. Holmes. And- God. But um, it's um, it's a really good microcosm of, like, what um, New Wave was in the 80s. And I dig the fuck out of it. The opening song is like to cut a long story short, um, which is no, which is not a Planetical Platypus episode at all. But describes <laughs> no, no pla- we, episode we just, of Platypus. We we cut nothing short. So I, it's just um, it's just really just like little. That's our new tagline: Mental Platypus. We keep it long. <laughs> <laughs> Rise. <laughs> So that's my recommendation too. I, I've not. It's another one of those albums I've not been able to stop listening to. Uh, much like Amy Mann, um, much like the Harry Nielsen uh, albums um, with Ringo Starr and Stevie Nicks singing together. Yeah, it's just really cool. Um, so that's my recommendation. It's available on all streaming services. I think they recently reissued it. Um, so there's like all these great demos if you want to take a little deeper. Mm-hmm. So, but, um, and then after you listen to that, go watch the grifters or something. <laughs> Cause 
Is no uh, the craze? That's the movie that they're that they both act in. Okay. So, yeah, I was trying. To, I, um, I was going to see if I had another recommendation on my sleep, but I don't. I think licorice pizza is enough. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I think you know what? That at this point, as I was wanting to skate by under the two hour mark, that it's the perfect time to wish everybody happy holidays, happy new year, enjoy whatever kind of break you get over this winter time, happy mm-hmm. solstice, and uh, to, as always, keep it mental, peeps. Yes, happy holidays, peeps. Mental Platypus is a production of Hoot and Waddle, producing fun arts and culture podcasts and publishing works of experimental literature since 2016. To learn more about Hoot and Waddle, please visit hootandwaddle.com. To learn how you can help support and sustain Hoot and Waddle, please visit patreon.com forward slash hootandwaddle. <laughs>